You're listening to a podcast of Business News Background. A weekly roundup of the big stories here in Western Australia. Brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. Welcome to another edition of Business News Background. I'm James Lush from Lush Digital Media. And uh, with us today as we look at some of the stories from this week and also ahead to next week, uh, Tim Threadgold and also Katie Lowe, who will in particular talk about uh, the feature for next week. But Tim, if we can start with some of the stories from from this week, of which there are are plenty of crackers. First of all, something that I guess everyone's interested in, anyone who owns a property is going to be interested in, the property prices and the kind of, I suppose you could say, the stagnation over here, the um, the hot property market in the east, very difficult from an RBA's perspective to, to balance this when you've got you know, west and east behaving like they are. I think it's a natural outcome of uh, WA coming off its boom and the eastern state starting to pick up the slack. But what worries the Reserve Bank in particular is the amount of speculative investment in property and the number of loans going in for uh, speculative purchases. Uh, it must come to an end, and whether the Reserve Bank brings it to an end in some way or whether people stop making rash purchases, um, either way, uh, the end is in sight for the property market. Okay. In particular on the East Coast where it's driven what, by investments? It has been driven by investments. Um, the end has arrived in WA, and you're seeing that in the figures where property prices really aren't moving anywhere. And if anything, they're more likely to be going down than up. And that is a worry to everyone who owns a property in Perth or in Western Australia in particular. Uh, but it's uh, probably quite good news for first-time buyers because they're going to get a chance to get into the market. Well, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, it's all based on the market you're buying and selling in, so it really shouldn't make any difference at all, should it? Well, it does if you've borrowed a lot of money, and and therein lies the big fear that the Reserve Bank is going to increase interest rates to dampen the market. Whether it has to do that is an interesting question because the Aussie dollar is going down at such a pace that it's uh, having the effect on the economy that the Reserve Bank wanted. Well, they also talked it down, didn't they? They've been talking it down now for about two years, mm-hmm. and it's finally starting to happen. Whether it's the Aussie dollar going down or the US dollar going up is the tricky bit. I tend to think it's more a case of the US dollar racing away mm-hmm. uh, with people getting set for the first increase in US interest rates, which is sh- scheduled to occur in the first half of next year. And what about Europe as well? Because they seem to be in the doldrums still. Um, how does that affect Australia? Not good. Uh, It is in the doldrums. It's likely to stay there for quite some time. Uh, They have got themselves in an awful knot. Uh, They don't know how to achieve growth. They've got uh, deeply entrenched social welfare programs, which they can no longer afford. They're getting knocked out of all sorts of markets by cheap Asian manufacturing and cheap labour. So uh, it does have an effect on Australia. And There's a market out there which isn't buying much of what we export. Right. How will that market, the the European market, affect the dollar? I don't think it has much effect. I don't think Europe really affects uh, us. It's the US, which is mm-hmm. uh, most, if not all, of our commodity exports now are priced in US dollars. And when that goes up or we go down, notionally we get more money on conversion to Aussie dollars. But in reality, the world is voting with its checkbook and saying uh, we're going into decline, therefore we're going to get out of Aussie dollars, which means get out of Australia. Come back onto that in just a moment, but just going back to the, the house pricing um, issue, uh, 
very difficult. And we, we saw this when everything was booming here in West Australia, you know, and, and the East Coast wasn't. And it was a case of, well, interest rates went up and everyone on the East Coast went, you can't do that. Are we going to have the same in reverse now? I suspect so. <clears throat> I think if you're in the housing market and you've, you're happy with your loan at 4.9%, you should be very uh, wary of it and uh, work out the numbers of what happens when it goes to 6 or 7%. And that could be quite devastating for some people. Yeah, I noticed some of the banks are very keen on locking in fixed-term interest rates. What does that say? I think some borrowers should be very keen on locking in fixed-term rates because I don't think they're going to see rates this low in Mm -hmm. their lifetime. Put it this way, I haven't seen them this low in my Mm. lifetime. You're still a spring chicken. (laughs) Uh, uh, And just on on this, is it across the board, the the house prices, you know, is top end, middle end, lower end, everything you think is stagnating and potentially going the other way? Well, as far as I know, the top end isn't moving at all because Mm -hmm. the corporate Western Australia has been flattened. So if you're trying to sell a house in the two to three million dollar market, you're not going to get a buyer because there isn't anyone out there to buy it. Uh, At the lower end, I suspect it's doing better because that's where the first home buyers will come in. Uh, and in the middle, I suspect it's stagnating. You've seen it all before, haven't you, Tim? Even though you are a spring chicken, things yes, come and go yes, in WA. It, it does. And, and we do have extreme cycles. And uh, we're currently um, going into a down cycle. Let's talk about uh, iron ore prices, put them into the mix. And of course, you know, obviously, iron ore is critical here for the economy. How would you say the the iron ore is uh, making people sweat at the moment? I guess when the iron ore price falls in WA, you suddenly realise how deeply devoted we are to resources and how it impacts Mm. everything. It's not just the price. It's that it affects sentiment. And so then a whole lot of other things are affected in terms of business confidence. People look around, there's not good news, there's a lot of bad headlines, and they don't want to make decisions. And I guess that affects everyone from individuals, because when you're uncertain about the future, you don't make big decisions. And businesses are the same. They'll run the numbers on things, they'll they'll engage advisors, they'll look at things when it, when it comes to the crunch of saying, do we do it or not? There's just this uncertainty. Um, and I think that's the impact that it has. Very much so, and the outlook for iron ore is not good, um, except if you're working for BHP or Rio Tinto. <clears throat> and right at the moment, you're seeing a, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> a particularly nasty squeeze on the smaller producers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> next week, for example, you're going to see both Rio Tinto and BHP uh, reinforce the point that they're still expanding. They're still developing new mines. Um, We had a bizarre situation yesterday where Rio Tinto came out and said, we're going to uh, expand the size of our Yandakachina mine. And this morning, BHP came out and said, well, we're going to expand the size of our mine Mm -hmm. too. So Mm -hmm. between them, there's another 130 million tonnes of iron ore between the two big boys. Why? Because they can. Because they can produce less than $50 a tonne. And everyone else is sitting out there at 70 or 80. They're going to get crunched. This is when the big boys really start to uh, take advantage. Um, how worrying would uh, would it be if you were one of the smaller producers that, that looks to $70 and thinking, crikey, we can't go much below this? Very worrying. Um, uh, they will be uh, praying that the Aussie dollar keeps heading south because on conversion they will make enough to keep going. They probably won't be profitable, but they will have enough to pay their way, mm-hmm. how long they can keep going. A lot of nasty things happen when 
the price of a commodity really drops out of bed. Mm. And one of them is that the value of the stuff you've got left in the ground, which you might have had your books, had it in your books at, say, $500 million, well, when you value it now at the new price, <laughs> it's $200 million. <laughs> and you actually have to take that loss mm. on your books. You can call it a book loss if you like. Yeah. It's still money that ain't there. Sorry, Katie. So, so what do those companies do? What are the alternatives for them? Merge to survive, um, uh, get into bed with another company. You've seen um, a couple of those sort of merger to survive deals. BC Iron and Iron Ore Holdings are coming together. Uh, You're seeing another one trying to get off the ground by piggybacking off Fortescue's railway. That's Brockman. Mm. the really interesting ones, of course, are what does it do to Sino-Iron, which is the Chinese-owned yeah. project in conflict with Clive Palmer, and Jindalby, another Chinese-owned project. They must be hemorrhaging very badly at the moment. So survival becomes number one question, finding a way to see the, to get through to the end of the year. Uh, and if they can't do that, well, they... They fold up and disappear. I suppose people who aren't in iron ore would say, well, they've had some pretty rosy times recently. Haven't they put some money aside for these moments? Or is that a naive <laughs> that is a That is an extremely naive question, that, <laughs> and that defies human nature. <laughs> so where's the money gone? Uh, the money's gone into continually expanding. Yeah. You've, you've had this crazy situation where the management of mining companies has said, we're going to keep building our empire and now you're having a revolt by the by the shareholders of those companies who are saying enough. Yes. Next week could be really interesting because the management of those two big companies is going to come out and say we're going to build more mines. But the major shareholders of those two big companies, BHP and Rio Tinto, mm. could well say stop, stop it. It's our money. We don't want you to build more mines. Yeah. We'd like you to get your profit up. That will be interesting. Let's um, look at another story from this week, and that, that is the, the local brokers that are under pressure. Patterson's, for example, still in the red. Why is that? I think that fits in with the work Katie's been doing on corporate finance, which is um, in trouble, but she can explain it better than I can. Yeah, so it's difficult times for these groups. <coughs> Excuse me. As I mentioned with the iron ore price as an example, when you've got a fall in commodity, it becomes very hard to value things. Mm. And all of these deals are obviously based on valuing businesses or valuing assets. So in an environment where we've got enormous volatility with both the stock market, we've got a falling iron ore price, a falling oil price, gold isn't that strong, and the base metals which were strong have come off as well. So you've got a situation where corporate activity is just very, very difficult to do. Um, And a lot of these advisors that I talk to, um, I've looked at the quarterly figures in um, this upcoming edition, and there's a big fall away in the value of the M&A activity, mergers and acquisitions, and the raisings, the value of those have come off as well. Um, But I guess what's most interesting is when you talk to those advisors, they're busy. They're doing quite a lot of work behind the scenes, but that work isn't translating into deals. And I guess that comes back to that uncertainty about the future. Um, When you're not sure what commodity prices are doing, it's very hard to sign on the dotted line. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're very linked. The, 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 the knock-on consequences for Perth going into uh, one of its cyclical declines, <clears throat> of which we've had a few, is that you're going to see certain 
events occur, it's going to be very hard to sell BMWs and Mercedes for the next year. Uh, holiday homes in Dunsborough and Margaret River are going to be very cheap because the first thing people get rid of is the expensive car and the holiday home. So if you're in the market for a holiday home in the Margaret River, mm. good times coming up. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm always on the lookout. Um, let's just focus more about the report that you've put together, yeah, Katie, okay. and some of those numbers, which, which I think you know, a lot of listeners will find fascinating. And it's yeah, very okay. comprehensive. It's very number heavy. So, so give us yeah, some of the highlights okay. that you see. Um, so the capital raisings were at $804.9 million. We had 63 M&A deals worth $1.5 billion. If we go back to the June quarter, that M&A activity was worth $4.03 billion. So that's a fall of more than $2.5 billion in the quarter. Um, the capital raisings, the number, the volume of them is higher from June to September, um, but when you look at the value of them, it's much, much lower. A lot of those capital raisings are sort of between $1 and $3 million. So they're little raisings which companies are doing to... Um, is survive the right word? Well, I was going to say it's a bit harsh to say keep the lights on, but that's part of it. It's sort of just enough money to keep the doors open and keep them moving, hopefully to a point where they have an interesting or exciting piece of news that can be a catalyst to go to the market and raise money because you certainly can't raise money at the moment just to keep the lights on. Yeah. Um, investors are too cautious. The, the things that attract money at the moment are kind of the sure things. They're really impressive drilling results, say something like Sirius, which was the biggest raising of the quarter, which was $189 million. you know, that's an amazing deposit. So you can get money for that, but in terms of, you've got to have all your ducks in a row, as the advisors have reported back to me, you've got to have the right project with the right people at the right time for the right mm-hmm. price, and then people might, might. support you, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's hard. I think the point about capital raisings of the uh, one to three million dollar range is that <clears throat> there are quite a few houses in Perth that are worth more than one million dollars. So what on earth is going on that companies celebrate the raising of a million dollars? I mean, uh, I used to use an example, it's probably no longer valid, but the local news agency uh, was worth more than a million dollars. So why would a mining company be excited about raising a million? Mm. Won't buy anything. <laughs> We're painting a fairly gloomy picture uh, here today, folks, Uh, uh, Katie and Tim. uh, Tell us, give us one positive Um, that you've seen. There are a lot of asset sales. Given that um, businesses are cautious, it means that we're seeing in that M&A space, we're seeing more asset sales rather than your kind of traditional buying a whole business, which makes sense. If you're feeling a bit cautious, you can buy an asset, you can spend a bit more time. It's perhaps easier to box risk, as they say, um, when you're just buying an asset. So we've seen a a fair bit of that sort of activity. Um, And we have seen some money come down from Asia, um, particularly a bit of interest in energy assets, and, and some unusual Asian investors that probably weren't well known. There was um, Nido Petroleum was bought out by a Thai refiner. So the Asian market is potentially pricing some of these businesses and assets a bit differently to the okay. Australian market. Yeah. Um, but you had some views on that, Tim, in terms of whether that Asian money is going to continue. We've also seen a bit of that money and interest <coughs> anecdotally in agricultural assets Good point. in WA. And look, there's a sense that that 
may continue. But with a volatile market, as I said, it keeps coming back to that idea that it's hard to put a price on an asset. And if you're sitting on the sidelines looking at things as an offshore investor, perhaps at this point in the cycle, perhaps you'd hold back and see whether it goes further. Because why would you pay, you know, whatever it is today when in three months' time you might be able to get that same asset at a significant discount? And a lot of the discount will come from the Australian dollar going down further. Um, if you were a uh, an American investor who put some money into this country at the beginning of the year when the exchange rate was a dollar four, and you're now looking at an exchange rate of eighty seven or so, you've already lost twenty percent of your money because you're stuck with Aussie dollars. Mm. So. Mm. Uh, a lot of foreign investors will now be saying, okay, the big fall has started. We're going to stand back and see where this dollar finishes up. Um, when you see the international investors come back, you'll know that the world is starting to re-rate Australia and say, well, you've, you've gone down to a level where you've become attractive again. We'll now re-enter the market. Just a quick one. And the other asset sale issue is, of course, the state government assets, um, which the property assets were announced, but the assets that the investment bankers are interested in are not those assets. It's those businesses. It's the TAB, it's the ports, and it's also the electricity assets. And there seems to be a sense that synergy at some point is going to get Mm. drawn into Mm. that. Mm. That'll be interesting. Let's end just finally and very briefly uh, with something completely different. And this is the sale of the the Shun Fun restaurant, the Chinese eatery above the Lucky Shag. Who's purchased, Tim? Have you you found a few? Quick- no, no. I think that's one for Katie. It's uh, oh, more of her inter- alley. Not, not interested in, <coughs> in this. I don't know anything. Riverside position, beautiful oh. spot. <laughs> got a bit of construction going on around it at the moment but it is one of those um, interesting Perth sites that's been around forever the Lucky Shag everyone kind of knows everyone has a bit of a story about everyone it likes the name. everyone e- likes e- the name except us old people we don't know it at all <laughs> yeah, no longer lucky well it's a it's a prime riverside position i guess and once all that construction work is done there mm. it'll probably be something quite special and that work will link that spot which has probably never worked in the city because it, it's always been so isolated is, if it, it's connected back through is the point you're making that the sale of this restaurant could set the tone for the rest of that development? Is that how you're seeing it? Um, No, not necessarily, but I can just see potential in this site um, with the right sort of refurbishment and the right operator going in and taking on this lease. Mm. It's an amazing spot overlooking Mm. the river there. Mm. Um, And I don't, as I said, I don't think it's worked because it hasn't been connected back to the city, that part Mm. of the river, whereas once you do have some sort of conduit that takes people down there, I think think it will be an amazing spot. I think you're right. Good talking to you. Um, thank you so much, Katie. Thank you, Tim, for your uh, opinions uh, this, this afternoon, albeit a, a little on the pessimi- pessimistic side, but I, I think it's a really interesting discussion and um, we'll certainly be following that over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, another edition of Business News Background, same time next week, but for now, thanks for listening. You've been listening to a podcast of Business News Background, brought to you by Business News and Lush Digital. For more information, go to the website businessnews.com.au.